Thoth Hermes podcast. Welcome to the world of the Western esoteric tradition. Hello, friends and listeners. Welcome to this new show, this new episode of the Thos Hermes podcast. Today is Sunday, June the 20th, and do not forget, tomorrow is summer solstice, a very important day in the life of the occult people like we are all. Okay, today is Sunday, as I said, and this is episode number nine of season six. My name is Rudolf, and as always, I am talking to you from the outskirts of the lovely city of Vienna. I have not said that for a while, but I would like to repeat it once in a while. So, if you live near here, if you live in Austria or close to Austria, close to Vienna, it would be lovely to hear from you. Give me some feedback because um, I see always that there are quite a few listeners in my country who seem to listen to the show, at least that what my provider uh, says, who, who sees where the IP addresses come from of the listeners. And um, it would be nice to be in touch with you from time to time, because as you might know, it's not always easy to find people in this area who follow the same track. So do let me know if that's your case. And while we're speaking about feedback, it would be good to hear from all of you, of course. Uh, send me an email on info at thoshermes.com or go on the website thoshermes.com, T-H-O-T-H-E-R-M-E-S.com. There, you will find a voicemail possibility to send a voicemail to me or also a contact form, of course. And there is always Facebook or Twitter and the usual social media to get in touch with. Today in this show, my guest will be Don Webb. Don, who has recently released a book on vampires. And that book is much more of a surprise to most of you, I believe. It's not talking about the film vampires that some of us might be used to. Okay, more about that a bit later. Greetings to everyone who is here for the very first time. I'm glad you found your way here to the South Hermes podcast. And of course, many greetings to all of you who are back and who are here regularly. And maybe even now, every Sunday again, as we have come back to a weekly schedule. Right, and while we're talking about that weekly schedule, well, you can imagine that sustaining a podcast and producing it every week, that also does cost some money. And uh, we need you as patrons. Uh, thanks to those of you who last week, we were two or three of them, I think three it were, who joined the ranks of the patrons of this show. I'm very glad, uh, very happy about that. And, but still, we need some more of you. We need more to sustain this podcast in the long term would be great if you were one of those who joined and go on the website and find the Patreon button there to become a supporter with $1 per episode. It's already a big help. And um, if you prefer a one-off donation, there's also a donation button on that very website 
you can click on that and enter a sum that you want to help us with. Thank you for that. I have often requested people to send me music, music they have written themselves, music they have performed themselves, and to listen to this podcast. And, well, um, of course, I repeat that request. Please do it. Uh, please get in touch with me. But I'm also happy to say that this week, and uh, uh, it will also be the case in a couple of weeks again, I can play the music of one of you or one of you listeners who has come to me with his music. And we will now listen to the first of three pieces that Nathan from the US has written and has performed himself. It is a music project that is called Opaque Muse. It's not commercial, at least for the moment. He says that he has not created a storefront yet because of the lack of demand. So maybe you just have a look at that. And I also put on the website, as always in the show notes, the link to his YouTube channel where you can listen to more of his music. And who knows, maybe if you get to him, maybe at some point he will also follow that interest, produce more music and also make it available in the store. It's Nathan and his, his project is called Opaque Muse. So we're going to listen to the first of his, I would call it rather darkish and very um, trance-like music. And the first piece that we're going to listen here today is maybe the most powerful of the three that we are going to hear, at least in my opinion, you might see that differently. The first piece that we are going to hear is called When the Waves Break. When the Waves Break, Opaque Muse, a project composed and performed by our listener, Nathan. Enjoy.
When the Waves Break from the music project Opaque Muse by our listener Nathan. And we're going to hear two more tracks by Nathan later on in this show. Don Webb. Don Webb is here, our guest today. He joined the Temple of Sate in 1989. He is my age, is 61 this year, like me. And at the Temple of Sate, he served as high priest for six years and is also recognized there as an epsissimus. Next to that, he teaches horror writing at UCLA Extension School and has been a published author in that field for many, many years and quite a successful one. So he's not only a writer that we know we occultists from his occult writings and from his work at the Temple of Sed, but also as a horror fiction writer. And you should also have a look at his books at some point. They are really good. Well, today we speak also about a book, which is his book, Energy Magic of the Vampire, towards the end of the show. Of course, we talk about many more topics. And I must say, it was not only a pleasant interview to record, it was really highly interesting because he gave me some very clear and um, precise um, definitions of things and opinions that he has. Uh, I'm sure you're going to enjoy as always, I'm going to read a few lines of his newest book, An Energy Magic of the Vampire, as I said. And I'm reading uh, half a page from the first chapter where he defines a bit more what he is saying or talking about in this book. Images of vampires dominate media, role-playing, cosplaying, video games. The vampire seems to have an, a ma major appeal, the privileged class seeking some form of glamorous deviance in a permissive society with little power on a dying planet. This book is neither about the reality of badly costumed bloodsuckers, nor the standard psychological interpretations of a pop culture phenomenon. It is about something much older, much more liberating, and much more subtle. It is not about the return to a pre-rational state, but instead about integrating some very old modes of human and more than human moods and gifts into the lives of a new elect. This elect won't be marked by gender, race or even economic class, but may be recognized by a certain glint in their gaze when they want to be seen. This book presents an alternative spiritual path and magical technology called the vampiric way. It is a sneaky way to avoid a lifetime of sleep and an eternity of deep slumber. It is a path for a very patient, strong-willed traveler who has placed four tools in her pack. Desire, strangeness, love, and fear. She must begin the path alone and unsure. Her traveling will summon her guides and before she comes to the end of her path, she will have to serve as a guide. Much of her myth is reflected in popular fiction and film, but at the crucial juncture, she will find something older, darker and more real. Well, not much more to be said, I believe. Let's go and join Don Webb in Austin, Texas, and let us hear what he has to say. 
Just to remind you, in about 30 minutes, I will come back with a little break of this interview. And in the middle, after those 30 minutes, in the middle of the interview, we will hear another piece by Nathan. But for the time being, let's go and join Don Webb. Here comes the interview. I have the great pleasure to have here with me on the Thoth Hermes podcast tonight. Well, somebody who has formed the history of left-hand path of the last, uh, well, 40 years, we may say, I think. Um, we are both exactly the same age, Don. Don Webb is here with me tonight, and I'm very, very happy to have him here. Good evening, uh, Don. Lovely to be with you here. So glad that you had me. Good evening. Uh, thank you. Well, and Don, the immediate, um, well, the reason if we needed one to meet is that you rather recently in May published a new book, which is called Energy Magic of the Vampire. But we're going to talk about that a little later in this interview. Before we get there, I just would like to talk to you a little bit about you as a person, Don Webb, the author, but especially, of course, the uh, Don Webb that everybody who listens to this podcast knows, a high priest of the Temple of Sade and with a long history in the occult and in occultism in general. So. Um, I, I'd like to start at the beginning, if that's okay with you. Um, one is either born an occultist or one learns it during one's early or not so early years. What was your case? How did it all start for you? When did you, so to speak, wake up in that respect? Well, there, there, there are three distinct times that, that I woke up in my life. Um, very early on, there's a, uh, in, in America, there's a gothic, um, soap opera uh, in the 60s and 70s called Dark Shadows. And it would be playing just at the end of elementary school. And it had vampires and witches and ghosts and Lovecraftian monsters. Mm. And, I was, and I was deeply fascinated by this. And, and of course, the, the standard plot trope in uh, the show was the seance. They would have a seance and this would further the plot in various ways and introduce new characters. And so uh, early on, I, myself and my young friends would, you know, would try this, uh, this formula, uh, you know, sitting around the circle and something to falling mm -hmm. out and so on. And much to my uh, delight and, and fear of my, my friends around me, things would happen when I did this. And, and of course, I was accused of having uh, created the, the phenomenon. But there wasn't any sort of depth to my thinking about that. And I didn't even like consider that in terms of the uh, nominal Christianity I was being brought up in. Mm -hmm. Then when I became a young man, uh, when I initially started school, I uh, had the great misfortune of encountering the writings of Carlos Castaneda. Uh, and, and, and like many of my generation, then tried you know, various substances in the hope of uh, discovering an alternate reality. The, uh, the alternate reality I discovered was failing out of college. Um, but I always had an interest in, in things, but I decided, okay, this is not the way to get there. Confusing my senses is not getting me closer to anything. I practiced for years, anything I could find just from books. And I noticed that every occultist I met was either, it was in some way mentally deficient. And after a while, that really bothered me. I thought, oh, mm -hmm. you know, this probably isn't what you want to be doing. So I had forsworn this 
uh, by the age of 29. I'm not going to do this anymore. It's clearly this leads to some kind of mental illness. And um, I happened to encounter, um, not through seeking um, them in an occult fashion, uh, two of the highest ranking members of the Temple Set, two members of what's called the Council of Nine, um, one of whom is Dr. Stephen Flowers. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I encountered them, uh, they didn't come across as occultists. Like you walk in their house and you see normal furniture and scholarly books and, and, and art that's not, not strange or macabre. And when I found out after I'd known them for months, I was like, wow, you, you guys have real jobs and uh, can clearly talk about things other than occultism. Um, what's, you know, what, what's going on with you? And I found out they were in the temple. And I decided to give the temple uh, a try. Mm-hmm. And so I joined uh, the temple at age 29. Um, you know, actually, I was 28, 28, and um, rapidly moved through the ranks because I found it both philosophically very coherent. You know, I didn't have to dumb down my thinking to, to, to do the, uh, make the approaches. And I found the, the magic to be very effective. Mm-hmm. And uh, about the time that I became high priest, I decided that the biggest lack the temple had up till then is there were literally no books about it from a friendly point of view. Uh, there were books from extremely uh, critical points of view. Yeah. There was lots of misinformation. And I thought, wow, we, we literally have nothing out there that says, hey, this is what we do and, and we're not engaged in some criminal conspiracy or, or, or otherwise controlling world finance or all the kind of interesting things we're supposed to be doing. And so I also began to be a uh, writer of occultism, although uh, I think I was better known and, and probably still am better known as a writer of science fiction and mystery novels, horror, that sort of thing. Right. But um, where, at the time when you joined the Temple Center, were you already living in Texas? So that, that, that happened I was there, right? Texas. I was living, I had just moved um, maybe a year before to Austin. And uh, Dr. Flowers uh, yeah. is uh, a Texan. So I uh, just really um, seemingly chance that, that, that I would meet him. Um, he was also on the show uh, twice already, uh, by the way. I, uh, mm. he, he's, had, he's been by far the, the, the biggest influence um, you know, in, in my life because uh, his approach is is very um, oblique. He doesn't say, hey, you need to go do this. He will just sit and talk about what he's interested in. And then occasionally he will drop, you know, he'll just make some some kind of like side remark. Like we were talking one day about the runes and about communication magic. And he said, someone in the Temple of Set should probably look at the Greek magical pyri. So do you know a lot about them? And I said, no, I, you know, I've got one, you know, kind of older book. He said, well, here, have my copy of, of Bets, you know, the, the big mm-hmm. compilation. He said, you, you should look through that. I think you'd find that really interesting. And then two years later, I produced uh, my book called Seven Faces of Darkness, which is about the Greek magical pyri. Yeah. It's, he has a very, a very subtle way of doing things. You know, he's kind of like throws out like these great ideas, um, which as I become older, I discover the need to do that because you're only going to be incarnated a certain amount of time. And you can look around and say, wow, all these things need to be, you know, discovered maybe I can do two of them the rest of my life. But, um, you know, they're, they're like gifts to my students sometimes. It's like, well, yeah, try this. this. This may work for you. So I think I picked up his, his teaching method as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which certainly is good because it 
it needs from the pupil or the student to, to, to do his own path and go his own way and not just repeat what he or she has been told, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and in fact, I would never um, seek to write about the rooms because I am in the presence of someone who, whose knowledge is so vast. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I kind of got this handle on it and you got that handle on it. So um, <laughs> uh, it, it's a huge difference. Um, but it is interesting to, to meet someone who has uh, a broad background in, in scholarly matters as well as um, sometimes narrow focus that occultists have. But that's something that hit me. I am personally, I'm not a specialist of the left-hand path. Uh, people here on the show know that, but but uh, um, of course, I know my way around a bit as well. And when you when you see the material of the Temple of Seth, um, there is that reading list, for example, which which is a very very wide, very broad uh, reading list, which requires a lot of work and which. I don't know if this is a speciality of the Temple of Seth that you are going to tell me, but um, uh, why do you think is that? And um, it, it reminds me of other schools, but which you normally find more, at least mm -hmm. me as a, what I know on, on the so-called right-hand path. We're going to talk about right and left hand maybe in, in a moment, but uh, um, is, that, is that a wrong impression I have or is that a real speciality of the Temple of Seth? It's uh, it is a speciality of the temple. It is a speciality of the temple set to be very broad, and so uh, you know we, we expect our initiates to know things about world history or philosophy or or the natural sciences. Yes. Uh, for one reason, a lot of the occult industry is based on uh, very simplistic approaches to to the world, and they just want you to keep buying books from them, like you know. I will lead you. Through, I'm going to, you know, I will sell you my set of books, and here's the tarot cards that go with the books, and here's the sex magic that goes with the book I just wrote, and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, but that doesn't actually. Um, that, that's one of the problems with occultism in general. It, it's largely the domain of not really bright people. Whereas classically, if you were to look at people who were magicians, say in Alexandria, yeah. these would be the best read people you know, in the, in the entire area and, and, and would speak three and four languages and, and would go and listen to, to philosophers speak. Uh, because there's a difference between what we might call magic and sorcery. Sorcery uh, is being able to do things to cause effects in the outside world. If I put together exactly this potion and I give it to someone, it may have this effect. Magic is about transforming the magician. You become the lead that is made into gold. And to do that, you need to have a real understanding of who you are and where you are and how the world works. Now, one of the things that the temple benefits from, we were a breakaway group from Anton LaVey's Church of Satan. Yes. And Anton had um, tremendously wide reading uh, in particularly, you know, popular anthropology and proxemics and the effect of smells on people. Mm. And he said, all these things are keys to power. And his reading list was very broad, a little eccentric, but it gave us that great notion that if you want power, you're not going to go usually and find that in some occult book. You're going to find that a lot more times in some book. You pick up the library and have to blow off the cover because no one's read it in you know, 20 years or whatever. Or sometimes it's cutting cutting edge lab work. So what 
what does that mean? How does this fit into the world? Um, a lot of the occult industry keeps regurgitating the same ideas, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in English language occultism. Almost everything sort of takes um, the golden dawn as this was the high point. Yeah, Every, you know, everything they said was right, and we're just not as smart. As opposed to, can you imagine you did that in the sciences? Say, well, I'm going to read about electricity, but um, I think I'll stop reading about it about the year 1900. They were good <laughs> at that, but. In the occultism, that's fine. That's like a normal way to think of things. Yeah, that's very, very nice. Very nice uh, comparison. Absolutely. Um, I would like to go back to two things that you said about your early times. The first thing uh, that so you you got to see that that gothic uh, um, TV show, and then you met with your with your companions there. How did your parents react at the time? Did you grow up in a family who would? accept that or were you the weird child or how did they take that i i, I was the weird child uh, mm-hmm. I, I had the benefit that um both my parents were working uh and so in those days in america not not now because of the huge change in how we do child care it was very normal for kids to come home after school and have several hours that were unsupervised yeah and and early on i learned to uh Well, I learned to be a really good liar. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say what I was doing. Uh, and that was just sort of a very, uh, I, I doubt my parents were, were, were even aware of this. Right. Um, because certainly I wouldn't leave anything around. I wouldn't leave like you know, candles or, or, you know, paper with a side gel on it or something. That They would never yeah. have found that. That would all yeah. Yeah. Be, be taken away. Uh, my parents were both very... Um, Tolerant. My father uh, was a free thinker. My mother was a Methodist. Um, mm. There was not a lot of uh, beliefs other than belief in you know the importance to be on this planet is to do good to your fellow man. What, what part of the U.S. did you grow up? Pardon? What part of the U.S. did you grow up in? I, well, I also grew up in Texas. I grew up in a town called Amarillo. Oh, yeah. Okay, Amarillo. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's a town that's known uh, mainly because when I was growing up there, it made all of the atomic weapons the United States had. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. So um, it has its own kind of odd place to, to grow up. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. The other thing, uh, then you said when you were sitting in those circles, then you made things happen, right? Um, so did you perceive that as a special talent that you had already at the time? Uh, or did you confirm that later on or was it just because you played more seriously than your than your colleagues there? Well, it, at the time, I would say my depth of thought was small, but I did notice that um, I, mean, I, I learned to do tran- you know, light trance work, although it took years to you know, put that sort of label on it. And I discovered that if I called out to the spirit, you know, come into the room, then there would be some psychokinetic event. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, even as a, a child of you know, 10, 11, 12, I'm wondering, is that a coincidence just because you know, noises do happen? Or did that happen exactly when I wanted it to? And then, of course, I also had the other question. Am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Or is something answering me? And that's really early on where I had the whole problem of occult epistemology, although a 10-year-old would not have used that phrase, because there's so many things you cannot have a perfect answer for. Yeah. 
And, and that's the problem with a lot of um, practical occultism. I mean, you, do, you, you do some practical working and you get a result in the world, but that still doesn't prove in any scientific sense your working and the result have a causal link between the two. Mm -hmm. D did you already at that time, and of course then later on with uh, Temple of Sid, did you always work rather with groups and several people, or were you also working solitarily at the time and at times in your life? I, I've done a lot of, of, of solitary work, um, and, and I think that most really transformational work, most things that really change yourself are solitary. I think that I have a good sense of uh, probably a, like simple theater for working with groups. Mm -hmm. uh, and then certain other things, you know, that, that I have done, you know, I have uh, done theatrical things in college. I uh, was part of the, the debate team in high school. I'm, I'm pretty good at, I think, manipulating the consciousness of a willing group, mm -hmm. um, which, is, which is a skill. Uh, yeah, I, I won't say that it's a shamanic or magical skill because you you can learn it at uh, any public speaking place. Um, NLP seminars and stuff. Like NLP, you know, a lot of the NLP things when that when that came out, I was like, I recognize that. Mm -hmm. You know, I recognize sure. if I want someone's confidence, I I lower my voice or when to lean in or lean out. And a lot of people know that just just naturally. We'll come back to that when we talk about the vampire book. Absolutely. There's yeah. this whole part of just being human where we're very aware of another person's states. We're aware of their breathing. We're aware of their, uh, obviously, their expressions. And we're even aware of this more subtle thing called energy. And some people are just, just better at it. Um, not necessarily, that doesn't make them better people. That just makes them sometimes dangerous people. Yeah. Uh, You know, a salesman, I've seen some really good salesmen that are much better at this than I am. You mm -hmm. know, that we're talking to him, I'm thinking, wow, he's completely right. And then I'm like, wait a minute, I have no desire to buy this. Why am I even, where did that thought even come into my brain? Yeah. But there are ways to induce trance in, in other humans. Or high level commercial adverti advertising specialists, etc. Sure, they, they are very good at that manipulating skills as well. Yeah. I a few minutes ago, I said, um, let's let's maybe let's call it a definition. Maybe we should. I would like to hear from you as a specialist and also as a exposed person of the left hand path, so to speak. Um, how you see the how you would define the difference between what is called the right hand and what is called the left hand path what does it mean to you those schools and how do they are there true schools really and in what way do they for from your point of view uh, differ and and what makes them be right hand and left hand path in your point of view the uh, the terms come from from hindu thinking um There are, there are various Sanskrit philosophies, and Sanskrit is a great language for philosophy because, like Greek, it has tons of terms that, that other languages don't. Now, I'll begin with how that phrase wound up in English, and then we'll talk about what it means. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a Victorian novelist called uh, Edward, Lid Edward Lighton uh, Butler. Butler, Butler Lighton, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, And he's the first person to actually use the phrase left-hand path. In, uh, oh, I wasn't aware that it was him. Right, right. okay. And, and it was for a character that he had that was this 
500-year-old or maybe older uh, magician. And as long as the magician didn't cry, he could remain immortal. Lovely literary conceit. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he was the evil magician. And then Victorians loved this term to refer to groups they didn't like. Well, I'm right on the path, but you, this group over here, your left-hand path. Um, for example, when Aleister Crowley uh, broke up with uh, Austin Spare, he said Austin Spare is a left-hand path magician. Because <laughs> you know, it's just a term for, of a program. Yeah. Then uh, in the 60s, um, Anton LaVey had this great flashing moment of saying, wait a minute, if I identify with the hated term, there's already all this power in it. Uh, and so Anton LaVey, who had a congregation of 300 at the time, mm-hmm. could be put on the cover of Life magazine. There wasn't a Christian church as small as his in the entire country. He's on the cover. There's a power in that. Mm-hmm. But let's get the technical meaning. The right-hand path is the path of union. By this, I mean the magician, the yogi, the priest, the fakir, whomever, seeks to have union with God, either they melt into God, there's no difference between them and God, or they're in some kind of divine uh, homeostasis with God. When mm-hmm. God thinks, I think. The left-hand path seeker is the path of non-union. I don't want to be one with God. I want to become like God. Now, this can be extraordinarily moral and good and wonderful, and you just say, I'm going to be God's friend. Or it can be, I am a creature completely of revolt, and I am taking heaven. But that's the major difference between the left-hand and the right-hand path. Right. Now, since the left-hand path seeks to break union, it uses symbols that are um, the opposite or distasteful or impure uh, compared to the right-hand path symbols. Uh, it can use therapeutic blasphemy. I'll call God out. Or it could use um, substances or practices that are uh, revolting or forbidden or strange. Um, That's kind of hard to do in America now, because now America has uh, extraordinarily broad sexual mores and so forth. So sex magic isn't going to do it, because pretty much anything you do, somebody thinks that's okay now. (laughs) You have a Facebook page. Um, But there was a time that that was not true. Yeah. Well, that, that's, a, that's a really interesting and, and most fascinating um, definition. Um, I didn't know about it, but that he really was, he was the first to use that. That's uh, that's the new one where we end. Of course, it's very, it makes a lot of sense when you said that Levey took that because it was so much loaded as a, as a, as a name, as a symbol in, the, in, mm-hmm. in, in that, that, that makes sense. Um, you mentioned Dr. Stephen Flowers as one of your two, you said, your two, um, people that you met at the time who that influenced you strongly, but you didn't mention the other person. Who was the other person? Um, she's no longer with the Temple set, so I will respect her privacy and just say okay. she, she was important. Mm-hmm. Um, she uh, has found uh, a different spiritual path, and therefore I will, will respect that. I, I would say that in the Temple of Set, my... Um, My deepest uh, effect came both from Dr. Flowers and later from meeting Michael Aquino. Michael Aquino, yeah, sure. Uh, Because he, uh, 
In fact, I, I became high priest after him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he had a tremendous effect on me. Right. In in what respect? What to, what would you say was his influence or uh, yeah his influence on you? What what did you learn from him? Uh, the major things I learned from him philosophically. Uh, he produced, of course, the, the core philosophy temple set, which is basically a Neoplatonic organization. And I learned a lot of just worth his thinking. Uh, but his uh, academic background was in political science. That's what he had his PhD in. Okay. And that uh, was something that I'd never considered a great deal in terms of um, the maturation and individuation of a human. Because we have to work with others. That's but that's essential to do anything in the world. But then how do you work with others and yet still keep your own individuality? Where do you make these ethical choices? So he introduced a lot of sort of depth of thought that way. And as a human being, what I learned from him was uh, learn to laugh at yourself, have a good sense of humor, have a lot of patience. Um, and those are really, you know, sort of huge uh, traits Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When I hear you say the Neoplatonic side of the Temple of Set and what we just said before about that long reading list and, and it, it makes me think that the Temple of Set um, is very different from what many people, even the interested people, I'm not saying those, of course, who know or have worked the material, but uh, from the people from the outside who are interested in the left-hand path would at first think, um, because it's it's often through the LaVey connection very, very closely in the thought linked to the Church of Satan and Temple of Satan. You know, it's, it's, it's even the word, which of course uh, we know has nothing directly to do with it or indirectly. But mm-hmm. can you maybe explain a bit or expand a bit more on how you would define what the Temple of Satan is and um, who should be interested in it if they want to go a certain path? The Temple of Set is a group that puts equal emphasis on philosophy and action. Now, there are many people who could read our, read what we have to say philosophically and say, oh, that sounds good. I, I love this idea. You know, we would say the purpose of life is to become an independent, immortal essence. Mm-hmm. That I will exist beyond this body in a coherent way. And the ways I need to do that is know who I am, and strengthen who I am through uh, deep understanding as well as through certain ritual means involving visualization or being able to cause things in the the universe through magic. So the the intellectual path is very clear. However, the emphasis is always on what can I do with that? How does my life change? And one thing that we look at in the temple uh, you, when you first join, there's two years before you can advance to the second degree, the degree of adept. We fundamentally just ask, say, how has your life changed? Uh, are your emotions better, you know, more under control the way you want them to be? Have you achieved whatever outside goals you need to achieve? Now, we can't tell them what goals to achieve. You know, one person might say, hey, I want to have a good steady job and a nice car and a nice house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you use magic to get there as well as how did you 
you know, work and make an honest buck. Or the goal may be I want to discover something new in the sciences, or I may want to discover a new thing to write my PhD on. Um, the, the temple is kind of top heavy with intellectuals. Uh, I was noticing the other day that I think about 8% of our number right now has PhDs, which seems you know, startling to me. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. It's not about you know, a group of a random sampling of humans, mm-hmm. but it's not um, a scholarly order. Uh, scholarship, like anything else, like the arts, uh, like athletics, if you know, there's you'd have to work at it to, to achieve. We we have had um, and one of my one of my best students who who unfortunately passed a couple of years ago. We've had beautiful jewelers in the Temple of Set who make just extraordinary things. Not just not just internal to the Temple of Set, but I mean that's their their um, right their their way they interact with the world. Because that's a very interesting way, right? I can take this this thing that's in my mind and I make it here in the world out of raw materials that's sending forth a magical current into the world. That is yes. as legitimate a form of a ritual as if using a Nokian chants and making strange gestures. Mm-hmm. And who... I, sorry, so go ahead. I, I think the Temple of Set... Um, should if you're interested, you should be interested and in being able to come and talk to people and see people face to face. This is a very important thing. We have a annual gathering every year somewhere around the world, um, and that is very different than certain other occult organizations. Um, I noticed with a certain degree of amusement uh, a couple of years ago when uh, when the OTO had their conference here in Austin. And I had some friends that are high-ranking members of the OTO, and they invited me down to, to go out to dinner. And, and they actually said, we're modeling our national convention on yours, <laughs> which was just like, you know, it was kind of a startling thing. Like, well, you know, we, we, uh, we kind of started a lot later than you guys. Um, the temple is not a good place to hide. You know, it's not a place like, I will stay home and, and just write that I'm doing these things. Um, so in that, we, we draw from a lot of things. Uh, the, the practicality of the Freemasons, I think, that we certainly have. Um, we, uh, the temple has, of course, ma- male and female initiates. We have, uh, you know, we're, we're racially diverse, although we're, we're mainly kind of white guys. But um, I think it's a place that people want to come in and say, I am going to change myself. Mm-hmm. And that is by far the most burning part of my life. And I have seen people who went from being a, a pizza delivery boy when they joined to um, being on a university faculty now teaching. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that that's the only way to do that. I mean, obviously, thousands of human beings do this. But if that's to you caught up with the ideas of spirituality and magic, then we may be the right group for you. Right. In point of view, organization, um, you said worldwide. Uh, is it is it on all five continents? And and can you roughly say how many members there are around the world? Uh, I can't talk about membership numbers, but yes, we we are on all five continents. We're not well represented in South in South America right now, mm. and we're not well represented in Africa. But we do have members in both. Right, and over here in Europe, where we speak from, uh, how how is the situation there? 
interestingly, the, the, the Europeans, uh, we tend to be much more appealing to um, Scandinavians. Okay. And fans. We have a lot of we have a lot of fans. Um, I don't know exactly why that particular residence is there. Uh, although partially it's because we just had some members there that are really um, sharp, and so be historical as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. have the same you know clustering around them. As I already said in the intro to this interview, I uh, have learned an awful lot of things about many, many aspects of the left-hand path and not only the left-hand path. And um, it's really, really amazing how much Don knows and how clearly he can say things. Well, he's teaching horror fiction writing at university. And as a teacher, you can feel his way of approaching things and how he tells things in a very clear manner. I really like that. Okay, I promised you some music and some music you'll get now. Um, we will go back to Nathan and his project Opaque Muse. And now the second piece that we're going to hear in, in this little break uh, of the interview, it is called Unknown Sea Depths. And they bring us in a sea underworld, those sounds that you can just enjoy while you Close your eyes and listen to them. Imagine where you are, but you are going to hear that the deep sea sounds rather dark. Well, it probably is. Okay, um, that will be the piece now. And as you know, immediately after the interview, when we return with the interview after this piece of music, immediately after the interview, there will be a third piece of music. And... That is called Just Be. Okay. Both are by Nathan from his project Opaque Muse. And now we're going to hear Unknown Sea Depth.
you you just said uh, um, before that um, that when one wants to change yourself and then you can use the magic of the temple of Setic, that right kind of you said that um, I would be interested you who have also written a very interesting book and that's the next topic before we then really go to the vampire book um, uh, on a book on Alistair Crowley a Some people call it a critique on Crowley overthrowing the old gods. I mean, of course, they're one of your, uh, I think, best known books. Um, how would you, before before we speak about that book, how would you um, define magic? What's your personal definition uh, of magic? I'm going to give two that seem different and they're not different. The first one is, and this one I, I received from both Dr. Queen and Dr. Flowers, Magic is the art of changing the subjective universe so that there's a proportional change in the objective universe, depending on the precision and passion of the operator. That's definition number one. Definition number two, magic is the art of managing synchronicities. <laughs> I, uh, for the last one, I'm largely uh, influenced by Ralph Tegmeier. Frater UD. Oh, right, by Frater UD. Yeah, okay. Who, who is a good friend and who was on the show here as well and who wrote a very, very ravishing li entrance line for your book, I think. We, uh, I'll read no, he, that in a moment for you. <laughs> yeah, he, he, and have a, he and I have a large amount of mutual, mutual admiration. I can see um, that, yeah. Mainly because he's a perfect example of someone who is a deep thinker, but not a dogmatic thinker. Absolutely. You know, if uh, if he heard something today that was totally new to him, he would consider it deeply. You know, particularly also depending on where he heard it or what the thing sounded like, and that differs from most people involved in occult systems. I most agree. people tend to be very dogmatic because that's a sin. That's a source of strength. Mm. You know, if you're doing something ritualistically, dogma is really powerful. You know, no spirit, go out. I am God. Be pretty dogmatic to ever think that. Learning to have that mode of thought, but then coming back to rationalism, is where modern occultism needs to go. Yeah, I see. I'm almost sure that uh, Ralph will listen to this episode. We can say hello to him here now. <laughs> um, we, I'm lucky enough that he's not living so far from where I am. So, so we even meet from time to time. Um, right, but let's go to that book. I think it was published in 2013, right? Uh, overthrowing the Old Gods. Uh, Alistair Crowley and the Book of the Law is the subtitle of it. And um, I think... Um, Well, you examined uh, Crowley and his book of the law in a way that even he himself wouldn't want people to do. <laughs> sure, yeah, no, it, 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 it is forbidden. Now, he actually said, don't make exactly. a commentary on it. I'm like, okay, that's what I'm going for. Exactly. So first question is, well, I, I think I know the answer, but I would like to hear it from you. Why did you do it? Uh, and secondly, um, Do you feel, really feel that you kind of deconstructed Crowley or what was your initiate idea why you wanted to do it and where did it lead you and what was your aim with that? Well, I, I noticed with, with Crowley for, for a couple of reasons. There's, there's three reasons I do. I'm going to tell you the first one first. Um, I noticed that people were either thinking this is an awful man, you know, drug addict and, and huge ego and, 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 and did not handle money, including his friend's money, too well. Or 
there was an there was a different purpose. And the different thing was uh, he is saint-like and amazing, and, and, and no one is, is anywhere near the thinker. And in neither case did there, they, they took a lot of sort of preconceptions that they had before reading him and then found them in his voluminous um, mm-hmm. work, um, which is easy because Crowley changed his mind as he evolved as a person. Yeah, absolutely. And so there was, there was problems with that. Now, uh, my first reason was that it was very diverse. The second reason, uh, which is not particularly magical, uh, the in, when Crowley's centennial came around, uh, there were a lot of discussions about him on interior temple of set mailing lists. Mm-hmm. And um, I commented on some of these discussions. I said, well, it looks, this looks this way to me. Uh, and some people were like, wow, I'd never considered that. That's really an unusual way of looking at that. And I realized that since I am a sympathetic reader, I am sympathetic to Crowley's goals, but I am not um, in any of the schools of Belima, uh, I could actually write some things that are, that are a little different, maybe a little, a little more sympathetic than, say, um, when Crowley is dealt with in the general press. But I could say, here, let's, let's really look at some of the, the elements. How, how did this come together? Mm-hmm. Now, Crowley's genius like certain other occultists, like uh, Blavatsky, like Albert Pike, um, was, was synthesis. Mm-hmm. And he took these really different ideas in different traditions and put them together and, and made them work uh, philosophically, very, very similar to what we, we do in the Temple of Set. Mm-hmm. And I said, let's consider what the elements are. What, what parts did he put together and what do they do? The last reason, the third reason, is, and, and this is the, the occultish reason, is I, I had a long dream one night in which I was, was speaking to Alistair. And, uh, and it was a lucid dream. I was aware I was dreaming. So I assumed this, this voice that I was speaking mm-hmm. to was also really my own. And we were discussing philosophy. And I said, well, you know, you, I really don't like you, you know, because of your misogyny. And, and mm. uh, you really thought way too much of yourself and so on. And he said, well, you know, I was the first person that went where I went. Of course, I thought much, a lot of myself. Oh, great. That's a And I said, but of course, you know, finally at the end of my dream, like, well, this is a lucid dream. I'm just talking to my own mind. And the Crowley figure says, no, you're not. And you'll find that out tomorrow. And I said, okay, how am I going to know that? He says, tomorrow your air conditioner will break. And I woke up and thought that was the stupidest dream I've ever had in my life. You know, I mean, okay, of course. I journal, right? All good magicians should journal. Right? I wrote that down and yeah. underlined it. Tomorrow, your air conditioner will break. <laughs> and then at six o'clock tomorrow afternoon, smoke came out of my air conditioner. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell do I do with this? Alistair Crowley came back from the dead and told me my air conditioner would break. I didn't even mention that for like, like 10 years to anybody. I was just like, fuck, right? So then I went and started looking at his stuff much more seriously. But it's that kind of high weirdness, wackiness that um, you, you don't even know how to how to analyze, how to put that into to anything. Uh, now, fortunately for me, uh, one thing that happened to me when I was a young man, I exchanged a lot of letters with a UFO uh, writer named John Keel. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did a book called The Mothman Prophecies. 
And one day Thiel wrote me this sentence that has always lived with me, which he says, when you play with the weird, the weird will play with you. Mm-hmm. And, and that was like, that's was like one of those initiatory moments. I'm like, oh, that's why people don't have this in their world. They never mess with it. They never think about it. They never look for it. And so it leaves them alone. They wouldn't even understand it if it was in front of them. Very interesting. Very interesting. I might ask you a question that I normally don't ask about Crowley. It's, it's, a, it's a personal thought I have, and I'm not at all sure that I'm right. But um, his father for him was very big, right? Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes I get the impression that a lot of his boldness and a lot of his taking himself so importantly is also kind of Freud would have said to kill his father. And mm-hmm. um, would you agree on that? Oh, absolutely. I think that his, uh, his, his upbringing um, determined what he was going to be. His, his father was, they were Plymouth Brethren and Plymouth yeah. Brethren, very strict. Exactly. Hmm. And in Plymouth Brethren, it is uh, an article of faith then and as now, that the father is the priest of the household. Mm-hmm. The father has the, the love, you know, puts together what they call the love feast, the agate. Uh, and the woman must never speak during this. And so you look at like his Gnostic mass, and that's just like, yeah, exactly. Directly <laughs> at, at yeah. these things. Yeah. I, I wrote an article on Crowley years ago when I said Crowley was brought up in the Plymouth Brethren and never left it. <laughs> yeah. Um, because his 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 blasphemy, the things that he he did, I think therapeutically for his own own sanity, uh, did become enshrined in a lot of his magical writing and practice. Yeah. Yeah, certainly, certainly. And thanks to Richard Kaczynski, we also know about that background very well in the large scale. Pedro Rabo, of course, his very first. I, yeah, I, I, I love I love Richard's book. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's move on to Energy Magic of the Vampire, your latest book, um, which has been published, as I said, one month ago. And now I have to read that that, that little paragraph from Ralph Tegmeier, also known as Fratri UD. And he said, everything Don Webb writes is enlightening in one way or another. A born storyteller, if I've ever met one, he takes us on a journey across the world of magic, both archetypal and modern, pursuing the path of the vampire with all, without all the biting without all the biting and the garlic an inventive highly instructive entertaining and easy to follow manual of the left-hand path for the 21st century like no other that's quite a sentence isn't it pretty pretty amazing i I, I was i i uh, when he sent that to me he he emailed that to me and and i think i shared it with about 10 friends within within 10 minutes yeah i'm sure Um, i'm sure Uh, why i'm choosing it is not only because it's a good sentence but also because it to me it says many things in those four or five lines that i feel when i read the book are very important to that book a it's talking about the path of the vampire without all the biting and the garlic so People who have only heard the title should be aware of that. It's not a book about the vampire that you see on other shows. And it's a left-hand path manual for the 21st century. And I find that really very interesting. So, but before you comment on those two, maybe tell us what brought you to write that book, what that book wants, and also why why Energy Magic of the Vampire. 
early on when I uh, when I joined the Temple of Set, there are there are various magical groups within the temple. They're called magical orders. And the one that certainly stood out the most uh, was the Order of the Vampire, because that was all the really charismatic, highly beautiful people. And so I saw that and I said, okay, that's that's definitely not me. I'm, I, I'm not this person. Uh, the the most intellectual group in uh, in those days, anyway, um, was the Order of the Trapezoid that Stephen Flowers was the head of. And, and, uh, the Order of, sorry, say the name again, the Order of? Order of the Trapezoid. Yes, the Trapezoid, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I, I sought uh, membership in it, which was very difficult to get in the time because that was my invitation only. I had always had a lot of interest in energy magic because I was interested in shamanism. Uh, my, uh, you wouldn't know this to look at me, but if you saw some of my cousins, you would definitely know this. I, I am descended of the Chickasaw Nation. Oh, really? And I have always had an interest in certain direct healing methods and the feel of energy. And I've always thought that was a very important part of magic. And then at one point, um, years ago, I was looking through the roster of the Temple of Set, and I noticed someone had written by my name, Master of the Order of the Vampire. And I wasn't even a member of the Order of the Vampire. So I called the, the Grand Master. I called Lilith Queen. I said, uh, Lilith, there's a, there's a mistake in the roster. You know, this needs to be fixed. And she says, no, I put that there. And I said, why? And she said, well, you're, you're a master of energy magic. I've watched you for years. And that, that took me aback. And that's why then I decided to consider what these people were doing. And the Order of the Vampire is largely about drawing in or putting out energy or being invisible when you choose to be invisible. It's about using attention to become magic. And I looked at that and I said, that's a really interesting idea. And just from my own uh, thinking, I created a schema. I just said, how does this work? Um, because that's usually my approach to do anything. I did some interior publications to that order. Um, and then uh, after I wrote Overthrowing the Old Gods, uh, one of the acquisition editors at Inner Traditions said, hey, what you got next? And so I outlined like four or five things I would like. And, and uh, he says, this vampire one, that would be really interesting. And I said, I don't, I don't even know if I can say a book about that. I don't know if I've thought that much about it. And he says, well, you know, think about it and give me a call. So, you know, I, I considered what I knew and thought, wow, I, I really do know a lot about this. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote back and said, yeah, here, I will, I'll put this together. Um, Inner Traditions among occult publishers does the best job of um, helping you create a book. The, okay. the editing is sublime. They will call you on stuff that's like, hey, I'm not following what you're writing here. Um, they have a high level production staff. Mm -hmm. uh, with Energy Magic, I considered the basic problem that I think every human being has. Now, I put the book in four parts. The first part's vampire light. It's just like, you want to try some of these practices. We all walk around in a sea of energy all the time. Yeah. We probably understand some energies better. I can understand sexual energy better. I can understand the energy I feel if I'm scared. Um, I can understand the energy I feel in certain natural places or even the energy I feel looking at certain art. Now, the vampire becomes the master of drawing that energy in and then putting it where she wants it. Mm -hmm. Store it somewhere inside the body, in a talisman, in a, in a group. You can use it for other things. I can 
say, okay, I'm going to use the energy I am feeling uh, because I visited the museum to heal myself. Uh, the terrible flu I just got over largely was healed by intellectual energies in addition to, you know, much more normal Western medicine things. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there are people around us who are psychic vampires who draw energy from us. You know someone like this. You probably avoid them. You spend a while talking to them. And afterwards, you just go, oh, man, I feel bad. or My head aches. or I can't really think clearly. But the thing is, they didn't get any benefit from it. They didn't walk away, you know, cackling, like, ha, ha, you know, because they're just the walking wounded. Mm-hmm. And so I also said, all right, how do we not lose energy that way? So the first part of the book just talks about energy, who owns it, who tries to control it. Now, most of the energy that we have, someone wants to control. Mm-hmm. Now, the person that usually wants to, they want to control is to make us vote a certain way or buy something. Yeah. Uh, one thing that, that I always do when I give a, a lecture in America on this is I come in and I hum the McDonald's theme song. Okay. And every single person, I, then I say, what did I just think of? And they're like, I'm loving it. And they give me the McDonald's food. I say, the McDonald's Corporation owns real estate in your brain. Did you sell it to them? <laughs> I said, every single person in the room just had that thought. I am so powerful a magician, I made you have it. Of course, I'm not a powerful magician. They're the powerful magicians. But I started looking at the vampire is the one that breaks from that because the vampire lives for centuries in books. Mm -hmm. They don't become caught up in day-to-day politics. Now, they may be very political. They may think of things in terms of, Hey, I don't want you to screw up the earth because I'm going to be here for 300 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, vampires are great for ecology, but um, they don't run to Facebook every day for something new to be outraged about. Because all of that energy is, is used for others. Uh, in America, particularly where political discourse is at the submaronic level, uh, the average American really just has emotions about politics. Yeah. They have no idea why they think anything, um, depending on, and, and, and I, I say this, I'm for vaguely leftist for an American, which means I'm vaguely rightist for a European. Um, <laughs> they don't know why they think these things, but they've been conditioned. Uh, in America right now, you can just say, that smacks of socialism. And people are really angry. And I'm like, mm-hmm. but you take social security that's paying your bills right now. That is socialism. No, no, no. Socialism is what the Democrats are doing now, not what they did a few years ago. Okay. Because they're manipulated. Yeah. Well, it's very easy to manipulate people. Um, we love to be manipulated. Yeah. Um, Anton LaVey, you know, just, just talks a great deal about the idea of you got to find the right bullshit for you. Mm-hmm. He never says, go find truth. We, we, truth may be too much for us, but we can find better flavors of bullshit. And so I thought, all right, I'll write about that. And I'll give people some exercise. I said, try this mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't believe me. Try it. Go do this exercise. Yeah. See what happens. Mm-hmm. And then if you like it, the second part of the book is, okay, you want to step this up? Here's an initiatory meditation that takes nine months. And you're going to be full-fledged after this. Third part of the book, I said, okay, what happens after you've been doing this for a while? 
Because in the occult world, we never consider depth. Mm-hmm. You know, the occult world is bringing out something new. You know, about every four years, you can get a new set of readers. Um, like Stephen Flower's best book in terms of, of money sales for him are always his beginner books. They stay in print forever. Now, some of his really clever books, really deep books, like Aru, well, you have to have had some experience and thought to read that book. And it's never going to make him a lot of money. But yeah. Futhark, which you can read, and, you know, it's for the beginner occultist. They can start something tonight. That continues to pay off. So the third part of the book I talked about, adulting, about what happens if you are a practicing vampiric magician and you've been doing it for a while. What are you doing for a living? Where are you living? Uh, you know, what kind of relationships do you have? Mm-hmm. The last of the book was just various resource things I couldn't think to put anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Is it, would you consider it more... Um, explanation of what it is or a manual how to how to do yeah it's more of a it's, more, it's mainly a how-to book it's like yeah I, i would think of it as um I, i would almost say it's experimental science except that's a very bad phrase for for magic because magic is not and never will be a science because you won't get the same results yeah. it's not repeatable in that fashion um but it is repeatable in the sense of if you try something you can find out what works why would you sorry go ahead go ahead and i think that's the big difference between uh magic and conventional religion conventional religion just says here is the truth magic says here are some ways you can find the truth truth. yeah exactly Uh, you said magic is not science well they're Crowley wouldn't be with you. He says it's the art and science, etc. Right? Right. So, so, so you see that differently, definitely. I, I think he was too hopeful. Mm-hmm. I think he, he wanted it to be science. He wanted it to be just like uh, perform this action at this time for this number of minutes, and you will get this result. Right. And and Crowley did not ever consider the thing that you talked about at the very beginning. Are some people born to this? Yeah. You know, for him, the law is for all. Yeah. If you do the work and you're a man, uh, you'll get the result. And if you do the work and you're a woman and a man sucking you, you'll get the result, which is also a big problem with Crowley. Because yeah. He thinks all of the ultimate power goes into your sperm. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's very single-minded in a way in that respect, right? Yeah. Um, Okay, um, yeah, it was something you just said right now. Maybe I didn't get you completely right, but you said something. Well, every four years, roughly, you can launch a new and you step into something, um, which which makes me think the Temple of Set has been existing since 75, if I'm That's not right. wrong. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, the Golden Dawn has lived then for 20 years before it came something completely different uh, other orders have had the same fate well now you've been quite longevity already with the temple of set and why do you think that occultism at least in the last 150 years roughly has had or maybe even before but we don't know so much about it but has had so many changes in its structure how how come that something becomes the most important part of it and then suddenly vanishes again why do you think occultism in at least the last 150 years is like that i think there are two really big things that do this number one 
when you are trying to break from your normal way of reality, novelty is great. If you try something new, you get a great result. Mm -hmm. um, let's say that next year someone came out with a magical system based on uh, Mayan iconography. Sure, why not? <laughs> Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm sure, because there's obviously a great tradition there, and if you had some way to kind of break it out, then we would see all these Mayan books show up, yeah. and there'd be people who would legitimately change their life with it. But there's no depth. And, well, there may be depth. One may find depth there. But also people often can't sustain an occult lifestyle. Mm -hmm. uh, the cult is most appealing to people undergoing big life change. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going from college to my career. I'm between marriages. Um, going up in the world with a job. I'm going down in the world with a job. Then the cult is really appealing because it works better in unstable situations. It takes a very rare person to say, I'm going to accept this kind of permanent liminality, this permanent state of not knowing exactly where things are. Um, Rose back earlier, when we talked about Ralph Tegmeyer, I said he has an open mind now and has kept it for many, many years. That's not the usual occult approach. True. And most people can't do that. Um, you know, I mean, it's like also that thing that they make, Gurdjieff would have said, people cannot remain awake. Mm -hmm. And it's harder to remain awake if you're doing the same practice. That's that's also difficult. That requires a certain amount that of is true. Yes. your life. Yes, and that is true even in professional fields or other fields, not the magic, but of course, in the subjective field like magic, it's even more important uh, to, to be able to do that. Yes, of course. Yes. Um, well, back to, to energy magic. Um, energy magic um, that you spell with a C, right? Magic mm -hmm. for you is always spelled with a C. Is, is that always the case or is that just for that book? Or It's mainly for that book. I go back and forth with the, the, the CK problem. Uh, Crowley was correct to set that aside from stage magic. Mm, but sure. then sometimes if you if you use his spelling, people think, oh, that's only Thalima. Yeah, 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 exactly. I, uh, that, that's, uh, yeah. I, I really have never even uh, in my own mind decided which, which is better. I, I also listen to people that are selling my book and they'll say this will appeal to your audience. I'm like, sure. okay, that's that's good. Sure, sure. But then the subtitle of that book is called Secret Techniques for Personal Power. Did you choose the subtitle or was that editorial? I, I actually, that, that was a uh, that was an inner traditions. And, right, uh, right. But I like it. You know, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, why? Why secret? Why? Uh, well, how how come that something that you publish can then be secret? I mean, this is a teasing question, of course. I know, I know, I know where I want you to go. <laughs> well, a secret in that a lot of these things used to belong just to the Order of the Vampire, the Temple of Set. And yeah. so, you know, or, order to, you know, maybe a hundred people on the yeah, planet yeah, or some yeah. of this stuff. But also there's a different meaning to secret. Uh, occult secrets are secrets. And here's what I mean by that. Mm -hmm. If you or I wrote down the perfect, the best ritual we had ever performed, let's say it was an adoration of the sun. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we gave it out to everyone in our, our country. Here it is. You can read this. There's still only a few people that would get a result. There are other people that could say the words and do the timing, 
But the secret is actually interior to the person receiving the transmission. And this is how um, esoteric literature is different than regular literature. Right. There are some things that some people are going to, to get. I'm like, hmm, I got that. And other things like they can read this, you know, 10,000 times and say, I have no idea what this is. Would you say that the secret cannot be given away if, it, if you, the receiver does not live it? That's correct. Yeah. There, there are some things that only happen um, through experience. Yeah. Or, um, and, and, and that's, not, that's, not, that's not a difficult idea. Uh, if someone were to talk about sex to a virgin, yeah. the virgin does not understand it. Yeah. There are certain aspects to it that they're not going to get, you know, um, the sensations, the smells, they can describe everything. Mm -hmm. and, and even if they're a really good, you know, really good description, but there's a certain subtle quality that they're not going to ever understand. Um, even secrets, say, of fellowship, like uh, if you've had a good meal with a friend, you can't then just say to someone else, go out and eat these same things down at Joe's bar, and you're going to have the same result. But you do have that moment when you're sitting around, particularly with a friend you know well, where you're like, I know what's going on in his or her mind. I have this, I have, there is a secret communication here. And this is, this is the way mankind works. Mm -hmm. um, this is also why mankind is so frustrated now because we've got social media and all these people are aware of why, is, why am I not having intimacy with these things I'm putting out on my screen? Why aren't people mm -hmm. getting it? And because everything needs to be somehow quantified, and that makes it so difficult to have that kind of feeling, right? Yeah, right? We, yeah. we haven't learned how to use that yet. I mean, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now, we'll probably learn how to use social media. Probably long yeah. after, probably when I'm dead, someone will be like, here's how we do this. But I'm sure that was the same problem with um, mass publication or with print or with, um, you yeah. know, But Whatever. the internet, the internet to start with, I mean, when, when we were young, we had nothing like that. So we were looking for our occult books uh, desperately in some bookshop that didn't even exist in this country where I live. So. <laughs> right, right. And um, one tiny thing before I have a final question for you. Uh, you mentioned um, that Crowley, like Blavatsky, And you said the third name Pike was a syncretist among the occultists. Now, uh, so Pike, he would call him an, an occultist as well? Albert Pike, uh, of course. Um, he, he probably would not have, have, have liked that phrase. Yeah, uh, well, but I, I really like that you said that. But uh, can you maybe explain? He's someone that realized that the key to life is having certain ordered meditations that can be found in a lot of different places. Um, he looked at traditional philosophy. He looked at Elephant's Levy. He looked at um, just some of the, the traditions of Freemasonry and said, we can build a key to life and we can pass it out. And it's hidden in several places, but because of my level of enlightenment, I can put it together. Yeah, And so, you know, in many ways, uh, he's a huge effect, right, on all these people that follow, even though people don't connect, say, Albert Pike to Aleister Crowley. Although clearly, like, Crowley obviously had a copy of Morals and Dogma open on his desk when he was writing some of this stuff. 
Yeah, 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 absolutely. I find that very interesting. I've never heard that, and it's it's highly interesting to me personally. Yeah, very good. Um, great. Well, Don, um, the question I always ask my guests here: What are your next plans? Maybe some book coming up, or some uh, plans that you would like to share with our audience here that we should have our eyes and ears open about yourself. I am currently writing a book with the tentative title of A Year of Living Magically, mm -hmm. where um, years ago I had said that I was going to someday write my magical training guide, which was going to be called Uncle Setnock's Boot Camp. And, and I, for years, people have written to me and said, well, why haven't you written this? I mean, you yeah. know, God, it's been 20 years. Yeah, yeah. Uncle Setnock, I remember that. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm writing that now. So it's a okay. uh, year-long, um, multi-field, presentation camp, I think it's going to be different than um, any existing manual because it's going to be a little bit um, more open to what's going on in your life rather than just the, the schema I put out. Not the Israel regarded 12 month manual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, um, and do you know when that will be kind of ready and due? Probably late 22. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we have to wait a little bit for that. Yeah. Okay. And um, uh, any, any other plans that we should know of, or is that is that for the moment uh, the, the main the main? That's, that's probably it for the, the main thing. I'm, I'm probably after I finish that, I'll probably go back and, and return to my fiction. So maybe it'll be a novel or another short story. Right. We didn't speak of that at all, but good that you mentioned it now. Of course, Don Webb is not only an occult writer, but he's a very well-known fiction writer. And you guys out there, you should really just type his name in any of your preferred bookstore lists, and then you'll find many of those works as well. Well, Don, this was a really delightful time with you. Thank you for a very pleasant uh, time or hour, a bit over an hour in your presence. I'm sure our audience uh, was really, really happy about that. Um, do, would you have some final words, some final advice for a young occultist of the 21st century at the beginning of his research, his or her research? Would you, what would you give him to start his path? What would you be, be your little, your little package you put on his shoulder, his or her shoulders? So one thing I would say is go ahead and try now. Begin your experiments now. And uh, diary, keep, keep records of what you do. Yeah. Don't wait until you think I've mastered the art of X or Y or Z thing, because you'll never master it. Hmm. But go ahead and start now and, and start seeing the kind of feedback you get. Because if you start now, the world will send you better signals. Great final word. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Don. And have a good time down there in Texas. And lovely to speak to you. Thank you. Love speaking to you.
Just Be from the music project Opaque Muse by our listener Nathan. I hope you enjoyed this music and once again do go on his YouTube channel either just enter Opaque Muse or if you are not sure how to spell that go on the Thoth Hermes website go on the show notes of this episode and on the bottom you'll find the music that we performed here and there you can find the link to his YouTube channel. Would be nice if you listened to a bit more and supported Nathan that way. Great. Well, this was the interview with Don Webb and I really hope you enjoyed it. Um, I'm sure that Don has not been the last time on this show because I kind of got the impression when we hung up that there were so many things left to say and to talk about and we might repeat that soon as he said he's writing a, a new very exciting book that will come out sometime next year and that would certainly be a very good occasion to have him back. Do tell me if you want people back. Do tell me if you have ideas who you want to be on this show. Once again, asking for your feedback. Don't let me do all the work alone here, guys. Uh, let me know what you would like to hear too. And tell me what you thought about the interviews that we do here. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. And of course, to the announcement of next week's episode. Next week, that's again, Sunday, the 27th of June. Um, we will speak to Chris Alon. I hope I pronounced that properly. And Chris is from the United States. He has been studying paganism and magic since 1992. He is an ordained minister with the fellowship of the Phoenix and also a Native American pipe carrier. And he has written in the last couple of years um, books that are called Underworld, Upperworld and Otherworld. And for those of you who are into shamanism that know their way around a bit, you have recognized that those are also the names of the three parts of the shamanic imaginative world. And at least from what I know, um, is it is very rare that somebody talks about those three worlds. It's mostly here about the underworld, sometimes about the other world, but upper world, that's already quite rare. And he speaks about all three in three different books in his own manner. And we're going to talk about all this. So it's a bit about magic and shamanism and witchcraft all together next week. Okay. Hope to have you back with us in a week from now when we speak to Chris and for now, I can only wish you a good week and say that you should take care, stay tuned, hear you soon.